Yeah, that's a week from Wednesday. We're starting a third service. It'll be every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, Celebrate Recovery Service. People say, have asked me, well, can I come even if I don't have an identified hurt habit or hang-up? Sure, absolutely, come on. And, uh, I mean, God bless you. Uh, I can't imagine a life without identified hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but you're welcome to come. <laughs> I got mine. How about you? <laughs> But I think the point uh, was so well made by Doug that this isn't, you know, simply like a Christianized version of AA or or NA, but it's for all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. So you come, 7 o'clock, July 24th, we're going to start Wednesday night, it's going to have worship, going to have teaching, going to have ministry, and uh, I'm going to be here. Yeah, I'm going to be here. All right, I'm so grateful for everything God's doing there. Hey, uh, you know, back in the, in the 80s and 90s, when I was trying to figure out what it really meant to be a Christian, I was cutting teeth on good music. Uh, yeah, you remember the good stuff, like Petra and Benny Hester and all those guys, right? <laughs> Hello, cricket, cricket. <laughs> well, there was a guy named Dallas Holm, who back in those days was a big deal. He was a big deal. And you'll remember some of his songs like Here We Are and uh, Child of the King and stuff like that. His biggest one was Rise Again. Yeah. Well, he's coming here a week from Friday, okay? Yeah, I know. I get that. He's coming here. It's a Pass the Basket concert on Friday night at 7 o'clock. Not this Friday, a week from 26. I don't think you're going to want to miss that. I just can't wait to just meet one of my heroes for coming out loud. Yeah. Hey, well, this morning we're going to take a break from the Magnificent series for one week. Why? Because I felt like the Holy Spirit was really leading me to do something else this week. We'll get back to it next week. We'll finish up the series. I felt like the Holy Spirit was really leading me to do something else this week. And what I felt like He was leading me to do was to help some of you who feel like you're on the outside looking in. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. I mean, God has drawn you to this place. And you see around you people who appear to have some kind of connection with this God. And you're saying, so how do I take that great step? How do I, how do I step over? How do I cross over that line? I really felt like God was calling me to, to reach out to you today. Maybe you've been here for a while. You know, you've been here for a while and, you know, you feel like you have something going on, but it's not really what you're really longing for. How do I, how do I step over that line? Maybe some of you are here for the first time. So, man, I don't know. I, here I am. I got drugged here by a friend today. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. We're really glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, maybe just as we continue on, you might be feeling a stirring today. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you get in? <laughs> where do you join? How, I mean, not the church, but where do, you, where do you kind of sign up for what God is doing? We have lots and lots and lots of stories of people in this church whose lives have been dramatically changed by what God is doing in, in them. Raise your hand if you're one of them. See, look around, everybody. Just look around. We have story after story of people who were drawn into the context of this fellowship and for 
reasons of, you know, that God knows. He drew them here, and they made a powerful, powerful connection with the living God. And I just want to reiterate something to the church. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We came for you. We came to find you and to help you make a connection with God. Karen and I go to bed at night and get up in the morning with one thing on our minds. Who can we reach with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why we came. That's what we're doing here. And so when I was getting this leading from the Lord, you know, it was like, just talk about how to take that step. It's like, I was feeling like, well, where do you want me to, where do you want me to go? I mean, your Bible says it over and over again. And if you're new here, we, we really try to do everything out of the Bible. And uh, we're not always perfect at it, but that's our intention. And, and I said, well, so where do you want me to, where do you want me to speak from? And the Lord said back to me, didn't I tell you never to end a sentence with a preposition? <laughs> Not really. I just made that up. <laughs> you know, where, from where would you like me to speak? <laughs> oh, Lord, that doesn't even feel right, does it? <laughs> where do you want me to talk from and who do you want me to talk at? <laughs> and of all places, I was led to Hosea. I mean, clearly led to Hosea. In the Old Testament. And I'm like, but Lord, I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about how to take the step into relationship with you. It's like, just come on. Come on, son. Come on. Hosea. Hosea is in the Old Testament. He's one of 12 what we call minor prophets. He's called one of the minor prophets because as you look at Daniel, Hosea, Joel, all these guys, Habakkuk and Zechariah and Zephaniah and Malachi, these, their messages were shorter than, you know, the big three. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And so they were called the minor prophets, although their message was every bit as important. Hosea did his thing around 750 B.C., 750 years before Christ came. Hosea wrote this message of, uh, that we have recorded in our Bible. There was a lot going on then in the world. The Babylonians were amping up to do their thing and taking over that region, which they effectively did. And uh, all of this threat of the Babylonians coming in, this was all interpreted by Hosea and other prophets as the judgment of God against Israel and Judah. By this time, the nation of Israel, that we commonly call Israel, had gone into sort of a quasi-civil war, and you had Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And so some of the prophets were directed more toward Israel, some of them toward Judah. Hosea was one who just wasn't really that fussy. He just stood at the line and yelled at everybody. <laughs> and so that's what you've got. You've got the, the, the Babylonians coming in, and Hosea and the other prophets saying, this is happening because you're being disobedient to God. Because, Israel, you've wandered away from God. Because you've rationalized your sin. And so he's what, this is what he's saying. And so the first 13 chapters of Hosea 
are, are, are pretty depressing, actually. They're little snippets of hope every now and then. It's like, oh, but. And they're like, oh, thank you. It's like coming up for air as you're reading through. But it's about, here, O Israel, here's what, here's what has happened. Here's why this is happening to you, because you've turned away from God. And so the book really begins, it's just a fascinating plot to the book. The book begins by God telling Hosea to go and find an adulterous woman to take as a wife. There you go. Go find an adulterous woman to take as a wife. And he finds a woman named, anybody know this? Gomer. I know. If you're in my time zone at all, how can you not think of Gomer Pyle? I know. I don't know how you don't think of Gomer Pyle when you read Gomer, but it really was a woman's name. So, you know, don't go like Shazam or anything like that. It's not that. It was a woman named Gomer, and uh, she was a prostitute. And God spoke to one of his prophets and said, I want you to go hook up with a prostitute and call her your wife. Why? Why, he said. Because this is the message, that Israel has become unfaithful to me. Israel has become adulterous to me. But I, the loving God, want her back. I want her back. I want her back. I want her back is the message of Hosea. So all this is going on, proceeds, Israel is unfaithful to God, God wants her back, but it's pretty, pretty tough. The first 13 chapters are tough sledding, and then you get to chapter 14, and the light comes on. And it says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Check this out. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness. This is the Lord's response. I will heal, heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. You know, the thing that struck me most, I think, uh, about this as I was reading through this, is uh, that this is a preview to the gospel. This is a preview to the gospel message of God sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to catch us, to bring us back in our sin. It's a preview. 750 years early. It's like going to the movies and you're seeing the preview and it's going, October, and you're going, oh, October. October. Well, these guys were going to the preview and going, oh, 750 years. What? <laughs> and it's a preview. It's a preview of the gospel message. The essence of the gospel is about returning to God. That's the essence of the gospel. Because every one of us is born with a desire to know God. It's in our hard drive. We're born with a desire to know God. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So as we lie on our beds at night and think about forever and think about eternity and think about the possibilities of heaven and hell, that's all a part of our desire to know God. 
And that's true of every single one of us. Each of us is born with a desire to know God and to walk with him because we were created magnificently, by the way, for that very purpose. And so that's in us. It's a hunger with which we're born. But the universal condition of sin, the universal condition of sin, that means everybody has it, keeps us from fulfilling that desire. It's the poison in our system that keeps us from fulfilling the desire of walking with God. So what do we try to do? We often try to cover up the pain of that with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We try to cover up the pain of, but I can't connect with God. My life has no purpose. This is going nowhere. We try to cover it up with more sin. This is the devil's lie to us. This will make you feel better. This will be better. So we rationalize our sin as a way of anesthetizing ourselves from our own pain. And it's this condition called sin that causes us to be the adulterous wife in this parable. Hosea is God, and we are the adulterous wife. And in this very passage, Hosea 14 clearly shows us the essence of the gospel message in four steps. The first one is in returning. Verse 1 says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. See? Our sins have been our downfall. As we, cover, as we try to cover up the pain of not being with God and not experiencing God and not being right with God and not knowing God, we try to cover it up with more pain, it's been our downfall. And it just separates us further from our capacity to experience God. And he says, return. So the gospel message, the essence of the gospel message is to return. Return and repent really mean the same thing. It means you're going this way in your sin and you're heaping sin upon sin upon sin and just making the situation worse. And he says, return. Turn, return, return, return. You turned, now return. Turn again. Return. Repent. Come back. And so the whole process of the gospel begins with a decision to return. I want to return to God. I get this now. I see this. For some of you, the light's coming on right now. Is that what it means? I was born pointing the wrong direction. Hey, I was born pointing the wrong direction, and I've been working hard to get, get further down the road. Yeah? You've been working so hard to get down the road pointed the wrong way. And the Bible says return. It starts by returning. Second, it, it continues by confessing. Check this out, verse 2, the preview of the gospel, 750 years early. Take words with you. I love that phrase. Take words with you. Don't just go to be silent, but take words with you and return to the Lord. What am I going to say when I get there, Harry? Well, it tells you, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. What? The fruit of our lips, the praise that we may receive the forgiveness that the Lord is offering us and that the fruit of our lips could be his worship could be his praise. But we go back with confession. Come, there's something to do when you get there, and that is to confess. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a truth. You say, but I got a really big pile of sins, I know, but Jesus' blood covers every one of them. You turn, return, What do you do when I get there? What do I do when I start to see him? Confess. Confess your need of Christ. Confess it. 
this is a real deal. I don't think this ever really changes. I confess every day. I don't know about you all. I haven't had my first perfect day. Anybody here? Hello? I've got sin in my life. I know, and I know you're so curious about what they are. That's too bad because none of your stinking business, really. I've got sin in my life, and every day I have to turn and confess this to the Lord. Authentically confess this to the Lord. I turn and I take words with you, he says. The gospel says, take words. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth, there's something to do when you get there. The third, the third step in the gospel message is right here in verse 3, and it's surrender. We surrender. Verse 3, they're saying, as they say to God, Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. You see, Assyria was like an ally that they could have used, hopefully, to over, overcome Babylon, which ultimately the Assyrians did, and they took over later. But they were saying, but they're, they're, not, they're saying, we're not going to do that. We're not going to try to solve our own problem. I know that the Babylonians are coming. We understand that this is a judgment against us, but we're not saying that we can fix this by getting, getting a bigger big brother and going to war. We're saying, I confess, I surrender that the problem is because of our sins, not because of the size of our army. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. Wow, if ever there was a timely word. Our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Who are the fatherless? We're born fatherless. We're born running away from our father. We return. We confess. And the father waits for us. But it's about surrendering. And surrendering into his work for us. And then finally, right here, is the preview of the gospel is the father's love. Verse 4, the very next verse I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely. It's the heart of the Father to pour out His love on us. You say, yeah, but my sins are too great. That's why you need the Father's love. It's not about what you can do. It's about experiencing the Father's love. So some of you are saying, so you're saying you can do anything you want? Not at all. I'm saying if you realize that the things you want to do comprise a list of sinful behaviors that you're rationalizing, I don't think you're in the Father's love. It's about changed behavior by the fruit of the Spirit, by having relationship with God, being indwelt by His Holy Spirit, and then seeing the behavior change in the sanctification process as a result of the relationship with God. I mean, when I leave the house every morning, Karen doesn't say, now don't you forget to be faithful to me. I want you running around on me today. She doesn't have to say that. She doesn't have to say that. We don't focus on the rules. I know I'm not free to date. Why? Because we have a list of rules on the refrigerator? No, because we love each other. Because we live in the context of a loving relationship and our behavior follows that automatically. We focus on the love that we have for each other. We focus on the relationship and the behavior comes. How is with God? What am I going to have to stop doing if I become a Christian? (laughs) Just let Him love you. 
Let him love you. We're not into making lists of sins for you to deal with here. We're into helping you find your way into relationship with God. Let him love you and let your behavior flow from that. I know this is all, this whole gospel message in Hosea is all centering around a scandal. I love this. The scandal that the righteous, holy prophet Hosea hooked up with a prostitute. That's the scandal. But you have to understand something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is scandalous at its very core. It's a scandal. God tells Hosea to go find a prostitute to marry, and this is scandalous. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God would send his own son Jesus Christ for me, in my sin, that Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for me in this, that while I'm still a sinner, Christ died for me. That's scandalous. That's a scandal. I am the adulterous wife. And God has come for me. That's scandalous. I still have sin in my life, and yet God has come for me. After 40 years of following hard after him, I have yet to have my first perfect day, and yet God has come for me. That's scandalous. That's the scandal of the gospel. And this is what the gospel was meant to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 it says that this is a stumbling block. It's a foolishness to the, to the Greeks. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. The gospel at its core is meant to be foolishness to the religious. And here's what we've done. People have ever since been trying to unscandalize the gospel. We've been trying to dress it up in fancy religion. So we got special clothes and hats we wear and certain things that we do, you know, here. Now it's important. Now we just now we're going to build these big edifices with gold things and all this stuff around. Now it's important. And we've unscandalized, we've attempted to unscandalize the gospel by dressing it up in fancy religion. We're trying to unscandalize the gospel by recasting it in kind of a neo-Judaism. What? We've just taken the laws of the Old Testament and we've laid them on the church. And we say, these are the Christian rules. But I thought Jesus died to fulfill them. Well, sort of. But we try to dress up the scandal of the gospel that while we fail, his blood speaks for us. And we dress it up with this set of new rules. Or one of my favorites is we try to unscandalize the gospel by marketing it as a kind of self-help road to unending prosperity. Oh, I hate this. There's a guy on TV that when he comes on, I just want to kick it. It just, it's a, he just unscandalizes, he just dresses it all up. He says, if you follow God, you're going to find your way to prosperity. You're going to find your way to prosperity. I don't know where that prosperity is. I've been looking for it for 20, 40 years. And here's the problem with unscandalizing the gospel. We end up hating the emptiness of formal religion. We hate it, don't we? And when you revisit it, it's like, oh my God. We soon discover that no matter how hard we try, we can't keep all the rules. We can't pull it off. That's why we needed a Savior in the first place. 
or we find out that our experience does not substantiate that following Christ is a road to financial prosperity. Jesus has taken everything from me, and I gladly give it because of a love relationship. This is the scandal of the gospel. And I think the church has worked so hard to unscandalize it. And I'm inviting you today to be a part of the scandal. I'm inviting you today to quit trying to dress up the Christian walk as a religion and walk in as the adulterous wife. I'm inviting you to contribute to the scandal of Christianity. How do I do that? How do I, what do I do? You just show up. You just show up in honesty, candor. You turn to him. You confess. You come out. I'm inviting you this morning, if your heart is being stirred, to enter into the scandal of the gospel. If your heart's being stirred right now and you're saying, I want in, okay, somehow the way you said it today made sense. If you're sitting there and your heart is stirred and you're saying, so I can come as I am, right? Yep. I want in. Then come right now. Come. I want to pray with you. I want to personally pray with you. Just come. You want to enter into the scandal of the gospel? Then just come.